Hi, everybody. It's Jonah Pallone, and welcome to Owner Operated, conversations with small business millionaires. If you're interested in learning about the stories of American small business owners and why small business is great for our country, this is the podcast for you. In my role at Midstreet, helping people sell their companies throughout the Southeast, I've been fortunate enough to get a behind-the-scenes look at the lives and organizations of hundreds of business owners. I created Owner Operated to let you in behind the curtain. Follow me on this journey and subscribe to my newsletter at jonahpallone.com. Today, I spoke with Lane Riley, previous owner of Happy Home Heating and Cooling, a residential HVAC and plumbing services business based in Durham, North Carolina. Lane purchased the company in 2010 and grew it from one to six million in revenue over the course of 10 years before selling the business in 2020. I spoke with Lane about how to grow sales and profitability in a home services business, prioritizing family over work, and a three criteria filter for making decisions as a business owner. I got a lot out of this episode, so I hope you find it valuable as well. Enjoy. Lane, thanks for jumping on the show. I really appreciate you being here. Share with the people your story. So who are you and, and, and what kind of business did you own before? Um, Lane Riley, I'm from Hillsboro, North Carolina, and um, owned a heating and air conditioning company. Did some plumbing, added some plumbing at the end towards the end of it. Okay, got it. It's so a, service business. Got it, got it. So, um, and what was the name of the company? Uh, Happy Home Services. Okay, mm-hmm. got it's it. In Durham. Yeah, and Lane's being really humble. It's not just it's not just any HVAC company. It's a pretty successful one, and, and he recently had an exit, um, which we might get into today. So, just talk through w- w- starting the business. Uh, Two thousand ten, I was working for uh, Train, which most people have heard of. Um, prior to that, I I had run a few companies, and um, but I was working for Train, calling on the dealer. I got an actually um, had recently been through. Uh, divorce had a five and seven year old at home and we ended up um one of the dealers that i talked to earlier about buying his business he had some health issues so he called me back and we worked out a um a deal there where basically i didn't have to put any money down because it's good because i didn't have any <laughs> and and uh, i assumed his debt and and i paid him over the next six years for the business so that's kind of how it started Got it. Okay, and then so so that was the initial business that you purchased, and you were, what what job did you have um, before that? I mean, what were you doing on a day? I was a territory manager, so I was going around to dealers like myself, trying to get them to buy trained equipment. Okay, got it. Talk about some of the the fears that you had going into that. I mean, it must have been a little bit scary jumping in. Uh, yeah, making the bills, man. <laughs> making the bills, having any money. So I, I, I uh, inherited sixty thousand dollars of debt. Um, it was a very, it was a, well, it had a, it had a good name, the company did, but it was really lacking in, um, being progressive to the time. I mean, you know, they were still doing, uh, paper tickets. They didn't dispatch the technicians. They would write the tickets. The guy came in and he gets to pick the, the call he wants to go on. And so there, there was, it was, a, it was run like a mom and pop, which is good in some, in some instances, but some it's not. So it was not very efficient. And with the with the owner being absent a lot for health conditions, um, there was really nobody steering the ship. So that's that's where that was the big. So the the opportunity to make it better was very easy because the first thing all you had to do was show up and run the business. So yeah. so you know when I took over, you know obviously some of the people that were doing what they wanted to didn't like having to be managed. So you know we had some turnover and. 
uh, in that first year, I mean, I, I got in the truck. I was I did service calls. You know, if you didn't have air conditioner, you know, I would go. If if we had more than we could do, I'd go do run the calls. Uh, I did sales calls. You know, and then on top of that was you know doing all the paperwork and the stuff at the end. So that's that's kind of how it started. It was just like I think most small business owners start that way. Mm-hmm. And how many employees did you have at the time? How many? At the time, we had I think they had seven. And I think when I finished in 2020, when I sold, we had 30, 30, 31, something like that. Wow. So talk about that first year. So you're truly an, an owner operator at that point. You have your hands all in the business. You're you're creating invoices. You're doing jobs. You're, mm-hmm. you're physically there. Mm-hmm. Talk about that first year and what that was like coming into this new environment, meeting the employees. I mean, how did you, often that could be awkward kind of coming in and transitioning mm-hmm. and saying, hey, I'm the boss now. Yeah, well, <laughs> nice I knew you. some of them because I worked at Train, so I had been called on him. He was a train dealer. Um, and they gave you kind of a level of respect because of that too? or Well, until you want to change something because nobody likes to change. But, um, you know, I think today, from then to today, which has been 11 years, I don't think there's but one employee that's still there. Wow. So... It was just it was just where we were going and we've changed and we progressed and, and it's just the the demands of what you have to do to serve the customer is so much more now than it was 25 years ago which is kind of what they were living in from the way we dressed from what our van looked like mm-hmm. so you know I mean they would come in in a t-shirt and blue jeans and you know we just you know my whole philosophy was if if you're going to be the best in town, you got to look like the best in town. And so if, if you're not, then there's, I mean, nobody's believing what you're telling them. So, because yeah. nobody says, Hey, we're a bad company. We do bad work. We're not going to come back. Everybody says we're the greatest. So, uh, so it was a lot of the image and, and what we wanted to provide to the uh, consumer. And that made us stand apart. You know, the um, price and structure had to change a little bit because in order to get a better, quality person you have to pay them more money so you have to charge more money mm-hmm. so um and that was probably uncomfortable to go through that process alone just the pricing changes no one for me because i just knew what had to happen mm-hmm. and so at, at that point i mean you know a lot of the people don't understand the value but you know if i can raise your price fifty dollars and give you 150 dollars of value as a consumer you you understand that and it makes sense to you and you know now if you were all about price then you know i was probably not the company for you mm-hmm. but if you wanted somebody that was going to be here long term and take care of you i was going to be that guy because in other words yeah ha- i have to make money to stay in business to take care of you long term so it's all uh it's all a necessary evil, I guess you'd you call it. Did the customers change like from the beginning to kind of the midpoint of owning the business? I mean, did you notice a lot of like turnover with customers over time? Because I assume you had maintenance contracts and things like that that you were doing. <clears throat> no, not really. I mean, uh, they didn't have very many. I think when we left, we had 2,500. Okay. Um, I think they wow. had less than 100 when I bought it. But oh, wow. um, they... Um, I don't think the consumer changed because I, I think my philosophy on the whole industry of services is that the person that's scared of the price is not the person buying it, it's the person selling it. And and what I mean by that is all your salespeople say or your service techs, well, we can't raise the price $25 or we'll lose customers. That's not the case because if you can't raise the value with what you give them, see, but for us, it was we showed up in a 
in a marked vehicle. We showed up with everybody that was drug tested, background check. They had a professional uniform. Um, we tripled the warranty on the repairs. So in other words, like if we had a repair before, they might do it 90 days, we would warranty for three years. So, um, but the difference is in the quality of how you do the job because a lot of times something as simple as changing a motor it might be a few hundred dollars, but if you don't change like a hundred dollar part of the capacitor that starts and runs that motor, you're wasting the time. So we go ahead and build that in because it's it's a necessary part for it. But then I can guarantee it for three years. And if something happens to it, we, we take care of it parts labor, you don't pay. So it was just the difference in going to market that the, the heat and air industry started as a wholesaler and a lot of old companies are still in the wholesale mentality and I went to a retail mentality. That was the difference. Got it. With, with the changes that you made, did you know that in advance kind of how you wanted the company to be structured? How did you learn what was right along the way? You know, for example, branding the trucks, systemizing things, making sure you had the, um, you know, people handing out jobs instead of people just coming to the desk and choosing their own jobs. How did you decide what was right over time? Were there books that you read? Were there mentors that you had? Were just being in the in the industry, seeing what a larger company did? Quite a little of all of that. I mean, my I'm a different generation, I guess. I'm 56, so um, I quit high school in the 10th grade because I wanted to go make money. Um, and you know, I had straight A's in school, so what? I just I wanted to go make money. I, I didn't like school; it was boring to me. And then back then, the college was you know to me it was a waste because I didn't know what I wanted to do. So what would I go to college for? So for me, it was a good path. Um, not saying I recommend that people don't go to college, you know, but I've probably been since I found when I started looking and worked different jobs uh, since I found that I went and I probably had more schooling than anybody that's went to college since then mm-hmm. to hone my craft and actually get better and learn those so the first company I worked for um, was Company Engineers in Durham which is actually a company that I bought in 2016 so I actually went full circle full there circle, yeah. yeah and so um, they believed in training their people, which I'm very thankful for that because that was the start of me going. And then as I got trained along the way, it just I kept building on that. And then I went from there. Um, I ran a company in the Zebulon Raleigh area, um, and I, I ran that company. And a lot of the stuff that that I ended up learning along the way, you know, value is is you know everybody if you know because every not every, but a large portion of service technicians or salespeople will tell you people that the biggest thing they care about is price. And then my answer to that, well, okay, well, let's go to Walmart, okay? Because one of the cheapest places you can get things. So if it's all about price, let's go through the parking lot and see how many cheap cars we see in the parking lot as opposed to Lexus, Toyota, Mercedes, uh, UTVs. And, and what you'll end up seeing is it's not a parking lot full of the cheapest car. Cars the worst, probably one of the worst investments you can spend your money on that you're going to lose it, but people will pay for it. Well, so what are they paying for? They're paying for what they want. They're paying for luxury. They're paying for a good ride. They're paying for a good feel. They're paying for a heated seat, you know, these kind of things. So I just took and put that into the business practice and said, oh, what, what do people want? And it's, I think, I want to say 
Zig Ziglar, I want to say, is the one that, that basically made it so simple. He said, ask people what they want, give it to them. And that's kind of what we did. <laughs> it's very easy if you just ask them what they want, give it to them. Yeah, just distill it down like that. Okay, Zig quote. And then go back to school versus no school, you know, when you were kind of making that decision for yourself. Now, I mean, you've got several kids now, right? Yeah. What are you telling them? I mean, your life is different than theirs, I would assume, but, you know, giving them, just in terms of giving them advice, are you saying, you know, go to college? Are you saying, listen, figure out what's right for you? It might not be the right, you know, out, you know, avenue for you. What's your kind of stance on that? Yeah, I've got a daughter getting ready to graduate college. I have one that has graduated from NC State and going back to uh, vet school. Okay. So, and, and I think it depends on what your path is. I mean, you got to figure out what your path is. But, you know, I see, um, I would never tell anybody not to go to college, but I see back then the minority of the population, not many people went to college. Today, it's kind of like, I, I think you have elementary school, you have middle school, you have high school, and you have college, and it's just, you're just supposed to do that. And, and I don't think just because you go to college, it means you're going to be successful. You don't have more money because I have technicians that I got salespeople, technicians make $150,000, $200,000 a year, and the average college graduate doesn't even sniff that. So it all depends on what – I think it's an individual thing, and I think there's – but I don't think college is the only path, and I don't think not going to college is the only path either. So you think it's it's do you think it's wrong kind of how how things are set up the narrative currently that just you know this is this is the way it's done people look down on people who are kind of in these service trades I mean when I went to school and I was in high school and people were graduating everybody asked each other where are you going to college where are you going to college and the guys that said oh, I'm actually going to trade school I'm I'm really interested in plumbing mm-hmm. they were always looked down upon mm-hmm. I mean what do you think about that Yeah I think today if that guy's living in a nicer house. <laughs> <laughs> Because they they actually did away with the trade schools and stuff in high schools, and they're starting to come back just a little bit. But you know, the challenge with um, hiring new talent today is, you know, if we put out an administrative ad, we'll get a hundred, two hundred applicants just like that. And you know, it's a fifteen, sixteen, seventeen dollar an hour job, and guess the majority of people applying for it are college graduates. So. Mm-hmm. You know, wow. I went to college to do that. I mean, come on. Wow. So um, then for us on the service side, on that side, it's much harder because, you know, we have people applying and very few of them have any experience. And if they have experience, you're probably you're probably hiring somebody else's problem. And then you got to try to undo that problem when you get it. So I, I think for us. We started our own little uh, training facility, and basically we just take somebody that doesn't know anything, has a good attitude, we can teach you to eat in an airport. But <clears throat> I think for us, one of the, the big things that we thought about doing is the uh, career days at the high schools. But I mean, you know, and I, I, I think it's as simple as, and say, okay, average four-year college tuition, average salary of a college graduate, and then put a service technician beside it, and it's going to be ridiculous. I mean, I had a guy that knew he knew nothing. He went to technical school. He worked with us part time. Then he came to work with us full time. His first year, he made fifty five grand. His second year, he made seventy five. His third year, he made ninety five. And his fourth year, he made one hundred fifty. And and I just you know I, I don't. 
I don't, I'm not saying that college is bad. It's a different career path, hmm. but it, where's your career path going? And for he us, wasn't, he wasn't living in New York city too. No, he was living right here. You know, he, was, mm-hmm. he started in, uh, Graham. Let's see. First second, let's see. Yeah. The first two years he was in, uh, Graham Burlington area, which the average, the median income was, I think 35,000 a year. So, you know, it's um, it's it's just a it, it's just a different route. I, I, like I say, I'm not knocking college. You know, maybe if I went to college, I could have went further. Maybe I would have done worse. I don't know. But you know, for me, you know, the path I went, what drove me was the passion because I liked what I did, and I, and if if I were if I was able to help change the industry and help people get. Uh, a better service with a better warranty and they're happier and they don't have to worry about their heating and air and, and, and their homes. That was, that was what drove me. Mm. So let's talk about what the company became, you know, sort of the later, later stages of happy home. Um, how many, you know, just before you sold, how many employees did you have? You know, how many trucks were you running? That sort of thing. Just talk, give me some numbers on like, I know everybody scale. always asks me trucks. I don't know how many, I had too many. <laughs> Um, um, but that's a question I get very frequently. How many trucks do you have? And I'm like, I don't know. Um, too many for me to count. That's how many. But, um, but we had, uh, we had about 30 employees, uh, and we started doing plumbing two years before, year and a half before. So we had two plumbers. The rest of it was HVAC, HVAC personnel. So, uh, and we had gone from... When the first one I bought was doing about a million, and then we were uh, right around six. Got it, got it. And this is a common other thing that you know business owners in the service industry have to kind of figure out whether they want to go wider or whether they want to go deep. And by that I mean, do they want to offer you know more services, plumbing, electrical, you name it, whatever else, like maybe, you know potentially even roofing, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, or do you want to go just super deep and be the best HVAC in the entire Triangle region, or you know whatever that is for you? How did you think about that when you when you were adding services? When we started, all I wanted to do was be the best heating and air guy. That's all. Um, then. As the environment changed, the Google, because Google owns everything, they're probably listening. But um, you can guarantee, yeah, they're uh, to to grow. It it costs more money to grow that way than it did to add plumbing to the customers that we already had. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went that route, and then you know we we learned a, a few things in that that it's. It's difficult if you don't have the expertise or the personnel with the expertise because, you know, um, like one of the opportunities we had was one day baths. Well, and, and I think a lot of people do that, but it's not something that we knew. And, and for us, our reputation was very important. So we didn't really just, we wouldn't just go jump out into something unless we had a credible staff and we could really put an ironclad guarantee behind it mm-hmm. because we thought it would do more damage than uh, than it would, it would benefit us. This show is brought to you by Midstreet Mergers and Acquisitions, a business intermediary based out of Raleigh, North Carolina that specializes in selling businesses generating one to $25 million in revenue throughout the Southeast. If you own a business and are considering an exit, check out their website and contact them at midstreet.com. That's M-I-D street.com. Now back to the show. 
so you said at a certain point with the with the HVAC, you had to pay more for the each additional customer. Did you know, was that kind of did you sort of get to like a a load that was kind of where you needed to be other than if you put more capex into the business you'd have to grow from that you know what i'm trying to say here like you kind of got to a certain level and then you would need to really invest more to get to get to the next level well you know for us um and we work you know probably in a i think we work in a 50 mile radius from our office so we go from Durham to Raleigh to Burlington, Elon is about as far as we go that way. Okay. And see, west, there's just not as many people. So obviously, with the with the people there that are paying, trying to buy a lead from Google, the price elevates quickly because there's not as many people. Mm-hmm. So um, what we ended up finding out for us is that if if we could do it, and we did some things that were supposedly outdated that helped like we did a lot of postcards uh we we would we do a, a six by nine postcard in your mailbox because one the google in my opinion if i allotted x amount of dollars to google that month they're gonna get it mm-hmm. okay now whether i get a lot of business from it remains to be seen but and it and it does work but if it's your only source, what we learned on that is it's not good to have all your eggs in one basket. So uh, the postcards we were, you know, we would mail out probably twenty five thousand a month to different people. Uh, we would have specials and things on there, and then we would actually mail it to those same people for about I don't know five or six months. And were you, were you buying a list, or was it sort of internal CRM? Uh, we send some to everybody that we've actively done something for in the last couple of years. Okay. And then we actually had a twenty thousand a twenty thousand um, population that were all new oh, that wow. we kept hitting those month after month after month. So hopefully we're gonna catch them in the demand time, whether it's plumbing. And then the other thing that we did find with that is it's much cheaper to buy a plumbing lead than it is to buy a heat and air lead. Mm-hmm. So there's less people doing plumbing. So interesting. So we learned. You learn a, it takes a lot of money to learn all those things because you end up wasting a lot of money doing it. Yeah. And then the, the partnership that you have with whoever is helping you manage that was detrimental because there's so many people out there that will get a piece of your marketing and all that. We, we found a company that they, they charge a flat fee and then whether you spend $100 with Google or $100,000 with Google, they don't get any of that. And so... Mm-hmm. Their only benefit to you is if they're producing and you're getting leads and you're generating revenue, then you keep them on. So mm-hmm. those partnerships are very important because you can spend a lot of money throwing mud at the wall with somebody that really doesn't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think there's more of those people out there as far as in the AdWords and pay-per-click and all that. Yeah. I think there's a whole lot more of those people that are getting money that really don't understand it because Google the big machine of Google, they change it so frequently that you just can't get it. And then you do these, and the people that we have, this is all they do. Mm. And they're very, very good at it. And how'd you find them? And did they do your website as well or? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. They had a really good website. Yeah, they did our website and, um, we found them through one of the coaching, uh, organizations that I use, you know, so, um, it's always good. I would say for any business owner, to get in a group or network of other business owners because then you can actually talk to people that are really doing the same thing you're doing and find out, okay, 
hey, we're thinking about this. What do you think? Oh, we yeah. used that. It didn't work. That's that's a mistake. And and you can do it because, you know, the, the other way to do it is you pay to make the mistake. Mm-hmm. It's sort so. of like a mastermind group, like an EO or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. The other thing I noticed was your online reviews. Mm-hmm. Is that something that... You know, I've heard of other service companies adding it as part of their process where the service tech has, you know, I'm sure you have, and this is just a kind of a general question too, processes and procedures in your business was mm-hmm. massively important, mm-hmm. I have to imagine. Kind of the, um, the When traction. I bought them, they didn't have any. So. <laughs> wow. So I don't know if you know about the book Traction, but it kind of talks mm-hmm. about, it's sort of like E-Myth, right? But for the larger companies like mm-hmm. yours, um, systems and processes are super important. So like for the Google reviews, was that something that you added in after realizing, hey, this is a massive opportunity, you know, kind of talk through that. Yeah, well, you have to play, well, one, there's a couple, there's a couple segments of that. One is, um, so many people live beside each other today and don't even speak, okay? So, you know, when I grew up, we knew all our neighbors, we, we know they knew, my parents knew their kids, we, they knew us. And today, it's a different world. I mean, yeah. people, you know, they're so uh, enamored with iPhones and computers and gaming that they don't go outside. And so they don't meet their neighbor. They don't care to meet their neighbor. So the referral of that is pretty non-existent today. Yeah. So the referral machine you have today is a Google review. So we understood that early. So we started mm, five years ago, probably in, in the last five years, and we're, and we're almost to a thousand reviews, and I think we're somewhere around four point nine stars. And and that that's all based on what we talked about previously, which is giving good service, doing what you say you're going to do, and standing behind it if there's a problem, mm-hmm. and just keeping people happy. And you know, if you do that, the reviews, and then. Because I, I do the same thing. If I go to look at buying a product, uh, you know, it could be a, a cell phone, it could be a uh, a cooler or whatever it may be. I'm gonna look at the reviews just like most people do. And yeah. you know, in our industry, if you know, if you've got less than 100 reviews, it's probably your employees and your family. You know, if if you've got less than 500, you know, and you've been in business 20 years, I mean, that's it's just not enough because you know those are the those are your customers and if your customers aren't willing because what we do with us is our guys they're bait they're judged based on part of their um evaluation is based on what kind of reviews they get Mm. so because that is the measure of how we measure the company and so you know one of the things they might ask somebody when they get done you know hey did i do everything good are you happy did you do all that? And then they might say, hey, you're going to get a review link when I get done. If you'll do me a favor and ask me, you know, and say, and, and mention me in that review, it really helps me. And it does help them yeah. because that's part of their evaluation when we get to do theirs. So, you know, those are the, the reviews are very important today because that's the referral machine of the day. Yeah. Um, I mentioned this in my intro of the show, but, you know, small business is really about people. Yeah. And for your business in particular, it's really about labor is what it really seems to be. Mm-hmm. So I guess just talk to some of the challenges with hiring because that's been crazy, I'm sure, for you, especially you know during coronavirus and stuff like that and just yeah. in, in any sort of downturn in general. But talk about you know hiring. You mentioned you like to kind of build people from the ground up rather than hire yeah. competition. Mm-hmm. Um, just talk to that. Yeah, the the best salespeople 
the best technicians, all every one of the ones that I've had that were were would have been the best reviews. They would have made the most money, yeah. um, and and they were the most you know they knew how to do everything right. All of those people have one thing in common: they all knew nothing when I hired. And see the problem with hiring somebody like I've had people that really knew how to do heat and air. They knew all the technical, they need all, they need all that. They knew all that. But the problem was the homeowners hated them because they had no bedside manner. Mm-hmm. They were all technical and non-personal. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we tell you today is, you know, if you have the right attitude and you want to work, we'll teach you the rest. And, you know, and, and it's a very good uh, revenue stream. You know, uh, to be honest with you, if, if I would have had, if I would have been able to start earlier making what our guys can make today, I probably would have never owned a business because I would have never left that income yeah. to do it because they were making more than I made when I worked at Train b- before I bought a business. So, um, you know, so it's it, the challenge today is, you know, just like right now. Through the COVID year, we we worked a lot harder, but um, we had a really good group of people. We have a good team, and I think we did the same thing in the COVID year that we did the prior year, which was most people were down, I would say, anywhere I heard from most people I talked to between 15 and 35% down over that for the COVID year, and, and we weren't. Uh, but we did a lot of things. You have to work harder in times like that. You just, you, you know, because a lot of companies they make excuses why they don't can't do it. Well, it's COVID, you know, and and so with us, you know, we we got on board the CDC guidelines. We had rubber gloves, you know. We had everybody had sanitizer in their trucks, you know. We had products that killed in our in our in our um, facilities that killed COVID and all that, and, and so. We, we really worked hard to be able to serve our clients even in a time like we had one lady that called um, one day and she ended up uh, she didn't have air conditioner and she was an old lady and so they I said oh, we, can we go to her house and I said no we can't send anybody to her house you know just from the liability standpoint today so um, I told her to send a call to me and um, she was pretty close to our office so I actually um went to her house to see what we could get resolved she ended up having a capacitor that was bad we changed it replaced it put it on there and said look you don't know us anything you got covid get well don't worry about it um you know and, and then like a year after that the unit failed and she bought a new unit from us so you know i, I i'm a true believer that you know karma is, is a real thing and you know you do the right thing and, and that's another reason the company has to be profitable and make a little money because sometimes it takes money to do the right thing and that lady's her issue was much greater than her air conditioner not working and it was it was really hot sticky time and, and it would have been it's miserable to be like that on top of that and then have covid on top of it oh, so you know that that was just one of the things but i think just about everywhere i go today i see hiring signs and it's just yeah. so hard to get people crazy so why do you think that is well part of it because they're paying them to sit at home <laughs> that's part of it um and and i think that the I think my generation has really taken a lot out of the next generation of when we we try to make things better for them or easier for them i think we are removing what actually made our generation so great and and i think it for me i've, I've got a simple story that that really tells that i think and i think it starts with we're kids playing you know i grew up we were 
I, I don't know. They tell me we were poor, but I don't know. We were just, we were happy. You know, we we didn't have a whole lot, but we had as much as everybody else we knew. So, um, uh, but we'd go out and we'd play in the woods and we'd, you know, we'd play cowboys and Indians or whatever. So we'd make a fort and we'd get this, you know, tree logs and we'd drag them together and we'd make this little makeshift fort. And it, you know, it today it wouldn't be really pretty. But I think today what happens is so many parents and even grandparents today, uh, the little kid wants a fort, they go buy them a fort. Mm. And, and see, the difference is I think what the, what... I think what we're robbing them of is one, when we made a fort, we learned some valuable lifelong lessons. One is to have a fort, you had to do some work. So in other words, to have something, you had to do work. Well, see, that's not what they're getting taught today. Mm. And so a lot of them come in and they want my job that I've been 56 years trying to get, and then they want it coming out of college. Well, no, you got to, you got to work to get it. So I think that, you know, those are the things that, it's just a different, you know, workforce today. And I think that for us, we've got to show them that, that this is a career. This is not like you said back in our day. It was, you know, you're a redhead stepchild if you're a plumber or, if, you know, if you're a service tech. or And today these are careers that actually pay real money. So I think that changing that uh, will, will definitely help. Because I think what's going to happen going forward is people do so little today that you may be paying your attorney more than you pay your attorney. I mean, your uh, attorney less than you pay your plumber mm. because nobody will know how to do it. Yeah. I mean, I can see that. Yeah. The other thing, too, just going back to the, the labor and, and hiring, the, your hiring philosophy, right? Mm-hmm. Do, you have, are you, do you have any stories of somebody that you trained from ground zero who just really impressed you and just, you know, is killing it now or... or you know, well, that tech I told you about, that's probably his best as, that, that I've heard. He was number last year out of an organization when they have seven, 700, right, 700, 800 techs nationwide. He was number five. Wow. And he's only been doing it five years. And he was number five out of all the techs across the country at generating revenue, that, those kind of things, taking care of customers, you know, reviews, all that, just a full round of tech. Very young guy, five years out of school. He's number five in the nation. Wow. You know, my salespeople, um, Probably one of the best the salespeople that I ever had was um, he was a, he was a seasoned guy like me or an older guy like me and uh, he had um, he had been selling electrical supplies to like electricians things like that so he understood the premise of value and those kind of things and he came into the heat and air world and it was I think for him it just recharged him because he'd been doing electrical so because you get kind of burned out after a while just doing the same thing all the time hmm. and. So I think it recharged him, but he was great with the customers. He understood value. He was not scared of the price, and he did phenomenally well. You know, he's probably one of the one of, if not probably the best salespeople I've ever seen. Wow. So uh, you know, but he made over two hundred thousand dollars a year too. So he was really good, but he worked for that. You know? Exactly. And see, he didn't see people come in today. They want to make two hundred thousand. They want to work forty hours a week. Well, that job doesn't exist because when it's hot, we don't work 40 hours a week. We work whatever it takes to serve the customer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for you, if, if, you know, yesterday, for instance, it was hot, right? Yeah. If your air conditioned, if it was yesterday was Saturday, would you want somebody to come Monday? Or would you want them to come Saturday? You need to come down. Right. Yeah. So that that's that's the difference in what we do. And that that's the hard part that being able to have an environment 
where you can balance that person's personal life and how much work we need them to do is that's the challenge today i think and how did you manage that as a, as a leader of an organization like that how did you manage you know incentivizing but also just creating that's really it comes down to culture right it's how you train your people how you mm-hmm. how you expect what you expect of them how did you do that well i think when when the times were allowing it you know we tried to make sure they got off you know by five o'clock you know because you know even if we're behind you know because it, it like last year i think in june and july it was 90 plus degrees about every day except for like a handful all right so you got all you can do and then some well see then you get behind on maintenance so they're trying to, to do those to catch up but see at some point for me you know especially with me being uh, having a five and a seven year old when I, I bought that business uh as a, as a single parent at that point was it was very um time consuming for me because see my whole important my most important thing was not the business it was those two kids family so you know and then my daughter got into sports my son played baseball so you know i i I, i'm gonna be at those games i don't care what's happening at work and and so for me it's hard for me to tell somebody else they need to be at work and not be at their kids game no because i would always tell them family Mm -hmm. goes first and you know and even when i worked i I played softball back then myself and i would tell my boss say look here's my schedule I'm going to play these games. If I need to come back after the game, I will, but I'm going to play these games because I think that you got to have that balance because if not, that's how people get burned out. Yeah. How did you manage family and business? And, and just, I mean, that's kind of your philosophy is family comes first, period. This is how, I, you know, I'm just setting my life up this way. But there must have been some times where work bled into family stuff and you just, you had to get on an appointment when you had your son's game at the same time or something, you know, you, you had to make sacrifices in both directions. Family probably bled into work, work probably bled into family. For me, when they were young, I never missed a game. Really? No, that was the priority. Wow. And, you know, now as, as they've gotten older, if there were things that we had to do, we might be out of town or, you know, cause I, cause sometimes I have some work stuff that I have to travel for doing, you know, sure. whether it be class. And we may have scheduled that long before I knew that's what's going to happen over here. But, um, but no, I mean, I, I think there's a, I think the, I think my my preacher has instilled in us that the your kids don't want you to buy them a car, they don't want you to buy them a house, they want your time, and you can't buy that. Hmm. So you can either you can either decide whether you're going to give me a time, but it's like he says, you know, when you're laying down on your deathbed, you're not going to wish you made more money. You're not going to wish you had more stuff, but you're going to wish you did. You're going to just did more stuff with your family. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to have that wish. I want to try to do it now. So, and that that's me. And you know, for us, we don't. Um, we actually like a lot of the marketing stuff when we were working really hard um on the weekends i would turn all the marketing off to try not to get any calls to, to give the guys a break because it, it someday it's not like it's like chick-fil-a they're, they can make a lot of money on sunday they're not open because it means something mm. so at some point you know i don't think you can just be defined by how much money you make so i think it's it's all about taking care of the people and you know and in a large portion of your uh, staff, they don't care. They don't care what you do. I mean, I paid 100% of the health insurance for many, many, many years. 
and you know there's probably the the five percent of my staff that really appreciate it and were really loyal good people and then i think a lot of the other ones they 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 really didn't see it as a benefit because if you don't pay for it i don't think you understand what it costs but it was probably my biggest bill that i paid every month was everybody's health insurance wow yeah, a lot of people don't understand just in general about business owners. They think, you know, their salary is what they cost. Mm-hmm. That's that's not the reality. It's a lot more expensive than that. Well, they think that they think that if you go out and and, and you sell something for 5,000, they think you make 5,000. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, and and with us if you know, where our goal was you know, a, a 10% to 15% net profit and, and, and I don't think that's um, exorbitant in any in any arena for any business so I, I think that most people think all businesses make more than they actually really make so you've been doing businesses you you see every day that they don't make anywhere near what people think they make yeah it's it's funny it's funny because just like you said they just think top line and they're like oh that guy's making money he's he must be crazy rich right and they probably do well for themselves but they're not it's not like jeff bezos (laughs) right Right? that's right so it's just it's it's funny how that works so talking about going back to the business just really quick i'm kind of personal question curious question in this business, service is everything. It's the name of the game. When you say quality, when you say value, that's what you mean. You mean your technicians providing a really good service and somebody feeling like they're they're getting a good service or good equipment and just treated well as a customer. Mm-hmm. Did you have like booklets that you wrote out? And you know, practically speaking, was it you writing systems down? Did you have an employee, like an office manager who was close to you helping write mm-hmm. these things down? How did you go about that? Well, in the beginning, it was me. And then as it got older and I delegated some of that as we added different positions and, but it all would come through me. In other words, like they would write the draft and then I would, you know, obviously look over it and then usually they said, I always change something, but you know, it's, it was always, um, because if you, to get from seven to 30 people, you can't do it all. No. You know, and, it, and it, well, I guess you could try, but you know, then your your family, you're not gonna have a family because you're not yeah. gonna see them. You'll be all off balance. And it's not gonna be as good as me and you know a, a team of managers doing it a little bit at a time together. So you know that, that was probably the the biggest thing for me is they need to have life. I need to have a life, and you know the business is very close behind that second. But you know because in, in all reality. If if you're sitting there um, and you think you're working all the time and you say, well, I have no life. Okay, well, if you don't have a job, what's your life going to look like? So that that's the part that I think that the employees don't see. Because it, it did seem a lot of times the harder we worked to try to take work off of them, the more some of them complained that they worked hard. Mm-hmm. So, so I think they got kind of spoiled at some point. Yeah. So, well, plus, in just in general, being busier is often just better than not having as much work to do. I mean, for right. me personally, that's it's right. a bit of a different. Well, career. I mean, we know when it gets hot every year, when it gets hot, we're going to work a lot. That's just it's the nature of our business. But in my 11-year career, I never laid off one person. Wow. I never sent anybody home and said, hey, we don't have anything for you to do today. So we never did that. So, and, and that's what we would preach to them. Look, we got weather coming. 
everybody be ready we're gonna have to work and this is what makes the slower times why y'all get paid and we do training in here and we get you better at customer service that's what pays those bills but these days have to happen Mm -hmm. so we don't send you home when it's slow and we do training and make our organization better so that that's the and everybody gets it when it's they're slow and they get they're getting paid to sit in the class but when they're having to work saturday then they don't they don't remember it as good, so it's that's the challenge. That's the challenge, and, it's, and it is hard work. I mean, it's really hard work. So it is on the guys. So I get it because I did it. I did the same thing they're doing. So, um, but you know, it's kind of like I tell my father-in-law. You know, he tells me all these stories, and I tell him the older he gets, the better he was. Because <laughs> every time his story, as the year goes on, he was better than he was. He did even better than he used to. So. <laughs> So we, we, we have to strive to not forget what it's like to be that guy. Mm. So that was what our, our main focus was. And you being that guy helped you probably empathize with their situation. Oh yeah. You didn't you weren't just handing out orders. You understood what it was like to mm-hmm. be them, you know, part of that. Um, and so talk about this transition from you being the owner operator day day in the business, just kind of you know, working on a little bit of everything, slowly over the years, transitioning yourself out and up, you know, upward, kind of elevating and starting to delegate. Walk me through some of those hires that you made that were really impactful. And just, I mean, I'm sure a common thing I hear from owners is just like, you know, it's, it's really hard for me to give up control. I feel like I, yeah, I can't trust anybody, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of like a, a trait. Some people have that sort of trait where they cannot trust other people to do the job and they have to do it all themselves and they stay smaller, but maybe that's right for them. How did you kind of break out of that? Well, I think one in the first year I was there, I hired an office. Well, she wasn't an office manager at that time. She was an office assistant. She ended up becoming my office manager and was with me the whole time and and she to be honest with you she probably cared as much if not more about the business than i did um so you know those people are very hard to find how'd you find her um we just put an ad out and she came in and you know we we actually i remember the day that she came in and uh had another girl working in the office and we interviewed her and she went out and i said well is there any reason we shouldn't hire she said no so we'll just hire her so she ran out to the parking lot and chased her down before she left and she hired her and then you know she was you know if i had you know if everybody would have been like her i probably would have needed 15 employees so um but she was just one of those special people and um she's still there i had a general manager that um we actually grew up together um and we've been friends for i don't know since we were teenagers Wow. And uh, probably one of those people um, I could trust with anything that I had. And um, another one of those rare relationships that, that you that you have in your life. You know, you, don't, you probably don't have many lifetime friends. But um, so we do that. Um, we, we're very like-minded in a lot of things and very different in other ways, which was good. Um, because I think uh, advice I'd give to any business owner is you gotta, you, you must have somebody on your staff that will tell you the truth if you're wrong, and and see, and he would, and we would have debates about things, and you know, and we would get there and they'd think about it, and then we we would come up with a better solution between a group of us than we'd ever than I'd ever do by myself. Mm-hmm. So I think that once you let your ego go, because I think at some point. 
you know, business owners have an ego. And once you, if you think you're better than everybody there, then you're never going to get any better than you. And if, if we can use all these people's abilities and put them together, we're going to be far better than any one of us would ever be. Yeah. So, and I had a, I had a service manager, same way he came up to the business, um, hired him, taught him. He came on up, he, same guy, trust you could do it's just you know anything hard worker um and 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 it's all about the people around you you got to have good people that to elevate or you're not gonna do it there's just there's no way Hmm. did it ever get awkward between you and your your lifelong friend just you know working in the business together just because you guys are so close was it ever was there awkwardness no not really i mean you know because i think it was kind of like um this is probably before your time but there's a uh there was a cartoon with the coyote and the sheepdog <laughs> and so the coyote was trying to get the sheep sheepdog had to protect the sheep and you know the sheepdog ends up beating the coyote up all day every day and then the clock goes off and then they both go off and they go go get a get a drink so and and that's kind of what us you know business was business and when we got done with business we were still friends and and we still will we still are today so i mean and, and we will be but uh so so no because that's the thing about that i think is really good about him and i with that we are similar so we don't take it personal mm. it's business and if 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 somebody's got a different idea to you and and you know everybody likes their idea to be good nobody but you know what at the end of the day we had a motto on the wall in our business that we had three criteria to do anything in the business it had to be best for the homeowner, best for the employee, and best for the business. And if it met them three criteria, we'd do anything you want to do. It don't care. It don't matter who brought it to us. Why wouldn't we do it? Mm. If it was best for the homeowner, best for the employee, and best for the business, why wouldn't we do it? If it only meets two, then it's not a good idea. And my philosophy has always been: take care of the customer, take care of the employee, and business take care of itself. Mm. That's sort of the litmus test that you lived every day by just every sort of decision. You just run it through that. That's right. And that's what I say because we had a big poster on there in, in, in our conference room. And I tell people, I said, look, if you got an idea you want to know if it works, there's your answer. If it meets all three of those, we'll do it. You can access previous episodes of Owner Operated and sign up for my free weekly newsletter where I summarize topics from each episode and send them straight to your inbox at jonahpalone.com in the show notes. That's jonahpalone.com. And if you like the show, please leave a review and tell a friend to help more people find Owner Operated. Back to the episode. I guess let's just talk about the deal a little bit. Just talk about the sale in the end and, and that whole process. How long did you were you thinking about you know, exiting the company and, and how did that come about? Uh, I really wasn't thinking about exiting the company. I thought I would do it in about four more years. Um, and I think that just the marketplace, um, today, um, I had a friend that had a company down around Southern Pines and I heard he sold his company and, and me and him, we, we talked a lot and we have very similar companies. So I called him and I said, I heard you sold your company. And he said, yeah. And I said, man, I can't believe you sold your company. He said, yeah. When he was telling me about the organization that bought him. And so that was the year before I sold mine. So I, I, I would check with him back and he said, yeah, everybody's still here. They, they gave him a week's more vacation than I did. They gave him better benefits than I could give them. Uh, they're doing the same thing. They kept they kept the same company name. 
You know, they're they're not trying to um, they're not trying to put a cookie cutter mold on everybody and make every business cross country the same because it's not. I mean, if you sell an iPhone, an iPhone is an iPhone is an iPhone. But when you sell a service with people, people act differently here than they do in New Jersey. So you could do something here and people love it and do something there and they'll offend it. Mm-hmm. So you really have to know your market and know what they want and give it to them. But, you know, so I think for those things that we were very similar. So he said, well, he, he the guy that is that owns that company, he wanted to know that I know any people. And he said, I told him I knew two and you were one of them. Would you want to talk to them? And I said, well, I'll talk to them because I got, I got emails every day about, uh, you know, somebody wanting to meet partners. They want to, this partner group and they want to buy it. And I got them all the time. So, but I never talked to any of them. And, <coughs> excuse me. And I think that um, with him, this guy was different because his whole focus was the employees and the customers. And you know he he wants to keep he wants to keep the business running like it is. Now ultimately they'll make some changes and 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 I get that, but so would I, you know. So as we learn, we keep changing and evolving too. But you know, uh, but I think for him, you know, it was very important to him that nothing really changes and the staff stays the same because I had a management staff, so they're all still there. And you know, the year before I talked to my my buddy his his um company all the people were still there his son worked there so he still had very good intel on the inside and he said it's going fine you know it's not a problem so um and then when i talked to him you know they just you know they paid more you know a lot more today than they would have paid two years for business so um you know with the um potential tax hikes that are coming from the government in the next year it was just a good time you know and it was um we we've we've run a pretty good business up to this point taking care of our clients but we've also you know we've not overextended ourselves so we're we were uh, our business and that's one of the reasons i liked our business it was debt free mm. you know if we need a new van we buy a new van we don't we didn't finance anything and you know so it was a very good uh, solid business so that's what they were looking for so you know as you know I mean the better the business the, the more money it brings so definitely they were um, they were at a point that I just said I don't think I can turn that down made an offer you can't refuse yeah so you know so I, I, I don't know what else I'll do I'll do something but right now nothing yet but you know for now that that's kind of how it all came to play yeah and so right before you sold, talk about the structure of the company. You said you had a management team. Mm-hmm. How did you, you know, practically speaking, how did you realize when you, I'm sure because you, you own the company over several, you know, many years, right? How, certain companies get a little top heavy at certain mm-hmm. stages, especially when you buy another company and try to bring that mm-hmm. one in. Um, was there ever a period where that happened? And how did you find kind of a happy medium that worked for the business? We did. I had a very good, because I, I had a general manager, an office manager, service manager, and uh, an installation manager. Um, so, and then I, prior to that, when I merged, I had an operation uh, uh, operations manager, okay? And, and I was top heavy there. But he was very good uh, to the point that uh, one of our competitors hired him away to try to build them a heat and air department, which, you know, it happens over the 
progression, but you know, for me, it's um, you always want to make people as good as you can because of anyway, just like with him, when he left and went to a competitor, I know that competitor just got better, which yeah. is good because on a level playing field, I like our odds. Um, but you know, I think that one of the, the, the best quotes I've heard from a trainer because a lot of people are scared to train their people because they're scared they'll leave. And, and, and I've heard him say is, you know, well, if you don't train them, they might stay. You know, that's much worse, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, how, how can I get them to, to give you excellent service if I don't teach them how to do it? So I think that was that was a big thing. So when he left, we didn't replace, we didn't fill that space back because we didn't need it. Um, but, you know, he was, he was a valuable tool then, but I was heavy then. But, you know, then, you know, after that COVID hit, so obviously we weren't busting at the scenes then at work. We were yeah. trying to maintain. Yeah. So, yeah. So now, and then, so I think right now they're in a really good place. High level managing the business towards the end. Like, let's say last, the last three to five years or so mm-hmm. of just owning the company. What... What was your day-to-day role look like? Did it evolve? And, you know, were you doing like morning huddles to get everyone on the same page? Did you have folks doing something like that? How did you create the the culture that existed there? Well, we had meetings daily, depending on who it was most well to see. Um, Monday, we had a service meeting before COVID hit. Obviously, we couldn't do anything after that. But on Mondays, we'd have a service meeting, have all the service team in there. Uh, Tuesdays, we did install. Um, Thursday, the management team had their meeting. So, um, and and I was kind of unorthodox in the way that I ran a business. From most of what they do today, is most of them they have a budget and they work backwards. And see, my philosophy was manage the day. Okay. When today, if if we've got this many calls, you know, if we've got this call and we got to have, you know, if it's an old system, okay, you know, if we're giving a quote, what's our close rate on that quote? What's, you know, what are we doing? Those kind of things. And so, for me, I I never I never had a budget as long as I was in business, um, and we never lost money one year that I was in business either. But um, but. We didn't have a because I, and I and I know part of what they do now is they talk about numbers every week, and I've been in the corporate world and, and I hated that, you know, and that's probably why I didn't do it. But uh, I know it's necessary as you grow bigger and bigger. It's harder not to do it because everybody's got because you can't you can't touch everybody. Mine, I was still big enough that I knew everybody there. We had a manager team. I would help do training, you know, if if I needed to. But I think that. Um, I think it's, it's very, it was very good for me. Um, but that's the part that maybe I could have went to college for business and been a little better on that side. Sure. So. sure. All right. Last few questions for you. Um, the concept of just training. Training is huge in that industry. And, and you all industry. I mean, yeah. And how many, I mean, you must have trained a ton of people. Um, how did you look at that process? How did you delegate that down if you did when you're bringing somebody on? I mean, I would assume you're just in a constant state of hiring, right? Constantly hiring labor. Um, how did you look at that and how did you manage that process? Um, 
I think the most successful thing that that I have ever seen work for training is the single most thing that people hate, which is role play. Mm. Because you you have to learn it. You can't, you know, because they say, well, I do better with the customer than I do here. Well, you should be able to do it here then. So... Uh, they hated it, but the, the the ones that as they got better, they would tell you that's the thing that made them better than anything else we did. Just repping it out. Yeah. Yeah. Because, and, and, and I'll be honest with you, the reason we did it in groups like a, the, with, the, with the service staff is because you don't learn while you're doing role play. You learn while you're sitting over there watching the guy sweat over here. And learning what he's saying, and learning what he's what he's saying that he shouldn't be saying, and you learn those things that he can say better. And so, though that's where you learn. You don't learn while you're the guy in the in the lines den. You learn while you're the guy sweating. But you know, it's just like I tried to tell all them. There's there's a secret. If you know you have to do role play, there's a secret to it. The secret is jump up and go first because the guy that goes first is always the most lenient on that guy because they don't want to have everybody paranoid. So they, so the longer it goes, the harder it gets. So, yeah. but but that that's that's probably the biggest thing that we did, and then and we had to have a process because early on. I taught people what I knew in my head, and then we had to end it, put it on paper so they could get it in their head. So I think the processes came later because without processes, you just have chaos. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes a ton of sense. I mean, we do that in our industry too, and, and honestly, every industry I can think of could use role playing if they're oh, yeah. if they're selling anything, right? right. I mean, it just makes well, sense. I, I think one of the things that you know, I tell, I tell a lot of. Um, salespeople, you know, when they come, because everybody, when you're trying to hire them, tells you, well, you know, I'm the best, I can sell this, I've done this, and they tell you what they can do. And then I've got one question that very few of them have ever answered at all, which is, okay, who's your two biggest competitors? And then they'll say, company A, company B. And I say, okay, well, I'm new to town, and I'm going to get a quote from company A, company B, and you. Tell me why I should buy from them instead of you. And it needs to be something that they can't say. Mm. Everybody can say we've been in business since. What? What? That don't mean anything. It's not an advantage. You know that that that's not a that's not a a benefit. That's just a fact. You've been in here a long time. You've been doing it bad for a long time. I don't know. <laughs> so I think that that's where my nick and and my gift was. I was very good at understanding what homeowners want and and understanding and putting the value of the what the services and products that we bring and then put it in in a in terms that they understand hmm. you know because our guys you know they if you leave it up to them you know an outdoor air conditioner is called a condenser okay well if you say hey your condenser motor is bad okay well they don't know what you're talking about you gotta educate them so yeah. so i said so what how do you do that and 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 you'd be surprised they just you know and i said well what do you where do you think Miss Smith thinks her air conditioner is outside? So okay, so her outdoor fan motor, you think she might understand that. And it, it's that simple. It sounds it sounds kinda elementary, but it is really that simple because if people do not understand, they don't feel comfortable buying anything because they're they're not sure what they're buying. Mm-hmm. So we, we had to get it we, we have to get we have to teach our guys technically how to work on it and then we have to teach them how to not talk about the technical because mm-hmm. 
as a young guy, when he comes in, here's what his value is to him is I spend all my time learning how to do all this stuff, work on this stuff, do all this stuff. And then his value to him is he wants to tell you how good and how, what he knows, but you have no clue what he's talking about. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like I explained to them. If you go to a heart surgeon and he's got to do a bypass, what is he going to tell you? Hey, you got two blocked arteries. I'm going to block them. That's what he's going to tell you. Now, I'm going to guarantee you, and when he was in school to become a doctor, that is not the term they used. <laughs> but if they if he said what it was, we wouldn't know what he was talking about. Yeah. So, same kind of thing. So, that's that, that, distilling that down. Yeah. 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 Making it easy, educating them. What are some of the things, so you kind of understand what my role is and mm-hmm. what I do. Um, just looking at me. I want to buy a business long term. I'd like to maybe own or start my own company. Ten years, call it whatever, right? Mm-hmm. I'm kind of talking to people like you, partially for the reason so that I can learn, partially so that others can learn, and, and all the other things. But pieces of advice that you'd have for me along my journey. I know that we have different paths. Mm-hmm. You, know, you didn't go to college, but mm-hmm. you started making money a lot earlier than me and built this business. What would be some pieces of advice you've lived by? You mentioned Zig Ziglar. You mentioned church. I mean, yeah. Um, well, I was 46 before I bought a business. Okay. Um, so you got time. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of sales training I've been to. And, and, I, and I'll be honest with you, I've been to some really bad sales training, but I've never been to any training I didn't get something out of. And I think that's the, the challenge for me is what I would tell you. If you're going to buy a business, make sure it's something you like. Because if you don't have a passion for it, if it's just about trying to make something better and try to make it make money, it, that's it's. I think it's hard because I think your tolerance level is not as great. And I don't think your passion to learn that business will be as great if it's just about trying to make money. Yeah. See me, I was trying to make a difference because I knew how many companies in our industry did very poor work. And I wanted to change that. I wanted to make sure when you bought something, it lasted a long time. There was a warranty that lasted a long time with it, you know, those kind of things. So, one, I would say make sure you had some kind of passion for whatever you're trying to buy. Um, with the workforce, you know, I don't know that I'd buy something that needed a workforce right this minute um, because I don't know if you can get any help. So, that that's the other thing. And then how are you going to have an idea, which I, I think that... that I know you work with Jeff and I know Jeff I think I've talked to Jeff a lot and Jeff is really smart in what where he knows that look at a business and see what it can do better to make it you know more sustainable more profitable so um, so having somebody like that in your corner is very good um, and you know there, there's a lot of people for me personally it, I didn't take advice from people that were less successful than me because there's a lot of people out there trying to tell you how to sell or how to make a business better that's never built a business. Hmm. And for me, the, the, the best advice I ever got was from people that had done it, people that were doing it, people that were still in it. And I think that that's a, cause it, it, I mean, you can go online and you can become a public speaker and speak about stuff, and you you don't all you had to learn is what your slides say, yeah. you know. But you really don't have any industry experience, and I, so I think that that's a I think there's a lot of people out there trying to take your money. So Definitely. and yeah, get surround yourself with good people, and you know if you have you know because like for me, I'll be honest with you, for you, 
you come along so around so many people, you may find a person that you think is good for a role, and then you might start looking for a business to put that person in because they'll be a good manager for you or something like that. So I think, you know, some of those is, um, are, are very good. You know, if, if you have the, the resources to do that, I think that's very good too. Yeah, just like opportunities like that that come. And that's funny that it's just kind of what you said too, and it seems to be just a trait that a lot of really successful owners have or people who have set themselves up well it's that like i want to make a difference like when jeff started midstreet it wasn't because he was going to make hundreds of millions of dollars whatever right right it was because he was like i dealt with brokers and it was a really bad experience that's right and so i wanted to change things and that's why we, we, we exist and that's right same thing with happy home so it's yeah. just it's a common theme i'm seeing too with just people in general who are who are in that bucket they're not they're you know money motivates everybody but it really well byproduct of doing something very well is you get exactly paid. exactly that, that's the not the reason that we did it because i did it when i was making less money i was just doing it for somebody else exactly so i said well instead of changing just what i do now i can change what my whole company does yeah i think it was like a, a Jim Rohn quote or something like that but it's just like you get paid for the value that you bring to the marketplace mm-hmm. right and it's just it's so simple to say that but it, it means so much it's exactly right. what you just said um, okay last question personal development that seems to be something that you know you've been interested mm-hmm. in your entire life you've done mm-hmm. sales training Zig Ziglar what were some of the most impactful, you know, readings, trainings? You know, I don't know if you listen to podcasts, you know. Yeah, I hate to read. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not a big reader, but I will read something if it has to do with what I'm doing. But uh, outside of that, I, I don't I don't really like to read. I, I'll buy something and listen to it while I'm riding. Yeah. Uh, I watch, uh, I, I don't mind going to training. That, that's the other thing I would tell you. The biggest thing I will see when I was at at train, the we had they had a, a very good they spent lots of money on training programs from how to run a business, how to sell products, how to work on things, the whole business structure they had training for the whole thing and most manufacturers do. But I saw a trend. And what I saw was about five percent or less, 5% or less of the people that attended the class actually implemented what was taught in the class. Wow. Okay, and then out of those 5%, 95% of those were owners. And see, so what I pieced together out of that is this. If you send a technician to a class and he doesn't have the power to make the change, nothing's gonna change, you just wasted your money. If, if it's not important enough for the owner or whoever, if you had somebody running your company, that's, that's, that's adequately as good. But if you don't have the decision making, if, if they don't take it serious enough, serious enough to go to that class, nothing in that business will change. Mm. So you can't, you can't, there's no secret sales sauce that I can send a salesman to and he'll come back and he's going to do it on his own. It just don't happen. It doesn't happen. It has to be the person that says no, comes back and says, hey, this is what we're going to do as an organization. And that guy makes it happen. And that's why I've been to as many trainings as I have because it, it the buck stopped with me. So when I went back, I said, all right, here's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And so that would be the single best advice I'd give anybody. This episode of Owner Operated is sponsored by On Tops Roofing, a family-owned and operated business servicing the Triangle area of North Carolina since 1991. 
With a long-standing commitment to quality work and customer service, Ontops has grown to be recognized as one of the most respected roofing contractors in the Triangle. They offer roofing work, window replacements, siding replacements, and gutter installation services. Check them out at ontopsroofing.com. That's ontopsroofing.com. Thank you for listening to Owner Operated, conversations with small business millionaires. Be sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter at jonapalone.com, where I share the takeaways from each episode and share any resources or tips I find valuable. And if you like the episode, please leave a review on iTunes. It really does help the show grow and send it to a friend that you think would benefit from it. Thanks so much.